Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us, and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing great and uh, eager to get started with part two of our series with some very great guests tonight. Well, you know, we've been talking to the Foresight Institute all week. We had a special Fast Forward show on Monday, talking just with Christine Peterson, one of the co-founders of the organization. And then on Wednesday, Amazing Wednesday, we started a conversation with Christine and also with Allison Dutman, who is head of the Vision Weekend program there at Foresight, and PJ Manny is along as well. So we've got part two of that, and I don't think there's anything else we can say. We should just give that a listen, don't you think? Absolutely. All right, here's part two. It's a good time to be having these kinds of conversations because I would list life extension, I would list longevity as one of those topics that people like us have been talking about forever. We've been talking about for years and that the public is really beginning to notice now that there are real treatments being tested, real treatments being potentially offered. And for the first time, I think there's a serious segment of the public that's looking at this and saying, is there really something here? What are, the, what are the upsides? What are the downsides? Is, is this a good thing? And it's great that Foresight and the Vision Weekend can be talking about this not only as a hot, fresh topic, but as something that these folks have spent years thinking about, writing about, and, and helping to prepare the world for. Well, that's, that's right, Phil. And I should mention one other thing that about Jun Yoon. In addition to writing and uh, speaking on these topics, he also has put up quite a bit of his own money in, a, in terms of a prize, the Palo Alto Prize for Longevity Research. So this is, this is a prize he's offering where they're using heart rate variability as the item to track in order to see how healthy you are and how you're aging. Hmm. Um, so I really i am I'm so impressed with June for stepping up and saying, hey, you know, I'm not just going to write and talk about it. I'm going to put a significant amount of my own personal funds out there to drive longevity research. And, of course, Aubrey de Grey also has raised a great deal of money and also personally contributed a lot of his personal funds to longevity research. So at, at Foresight, we try to bring in people who communicate about, uh, about these topics, but also people who are actually implementing things, whether it's through funding, through research, however they're doing it. So we try to get people who are making a difference right now. That's exciting. That's, that's really awesome. And it's amazing. It's a lot of these kind of smaller pieces of the puzzle that can come together, and the whole idea of longevity comes better and better into focus. I, that's a measure that most people wouldn't even think of, right? The heart rate variability, but it's probably a really significant one. And putting specific funding behind researching that and finding out what the link is there is is likely to reveal all kinds of things. I think it's definitely it definitely will. 
um, it's it's a very clever idea. I'm 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 so glad he thought of it. Absolutely. Well, what else can you tell us about the other folks who are going to be speaking there? You mentioned David Eagleman, uh, and he has a show on he has a show on PBS. What's he going to be talking about at the at the event? So he will be in the section on intelligence um, with the brain as the next frontier, um, and since we will focus on um, AI and AI safety a lot in the strategy sessions as well. Um, the panel uh, will tackle intelligence from a broader angle than, than, than just AI. So um, we will compare like pros and cons of biological versus artificial intelligence. We will also talk about the prospects of connecting the two. For example, via efforts for like mind uploading, um, and Randall Kerner, who will also be on the panel, is the guy to talk to here. And then we will touch briefly touch on enhanced human intelligence as, as a safety strategy, and that comes quite timely uh, with Elon Musk uh, having recently founded Neuralink with an actually serious effort to reduce the risk from AI by augmenting humans to a degree where they can deal with it better or merge with, with AI themselves. So this panel will be really tackling intelligence from a broad angle and then definitely focusing in on the intersection of human and machine intelligence. That sounds really interesting. Neuralink, uh, of course, we've talked about, Stephen, a, a, couple of, a couple of times before. And I was just reading there was some debate going on between Robin Hansen and Eliezer Yudkowsky about having one of their usual AI spats. But one of the, one of the, one of the um, comments that Robin made was that this idea of enhancing human intelligence in order to cover the risk of artificial intelligence, basically he was on the it's never going to work phase, right? They're going to be so much faster than us that it's not, it's not ever going to happen. So that's the kind of question that I'm sure will come up at the Vision Week, and it'll be a great opportunity to talk about those kinds of things. Like, you know, the, uh, uh, the fact that enhancing might be necessary in order to interface properly, right, with, uh, with AIs. That might, that might be something that we find that uh, has to happen. So, interesting. Well, I think that it's, it would be an ideal solution. It might not be the one that is most likely to happen right now, but that doesn't mean that it's one that we should forget about, right? And whether this will be a viable option or not depends on kind of the game theory of the players involved. So if people pull together or if different players that develop AI pull together and say, hey, we're not going to engage in an arms race, but we are really going to try to leave it the time to enhance humans to a degree where we have more of a grasp of the problem, then I do think that it's a viable option. I don't think that, you know, it's not really an exogenous factor whether it can happen or not. It's something that we as humans can influence. Uh, so we should talk about it and, and see whether it's a, it's a good idea. One of the things, Stephen, you and I were talking about last week was this kind of middle stage between where we are today with still fairly narrow AI and eventually getting mm -hmm. to AGI with, with the really impressive progress that's being made with deep learning and machine learning, we're seeing some, some really interesting stuff happening in terms of big leaps in intelligence with these systems, but they're still, relatively speaking, narrow. None of them are, right. Right. None of them are uh, true AGIs. I wonder if a future in which, before we get to AGI, or instead of, we'll say before, because we'll assume that eventually we will get to AGI. Before we get to AGI, 
will there be will, will there be a period where we have at our disposal this fantastic intelligence in just all these different areas, and we need really strong intelligence just to kind of manage all those. When there's still not a, a general intelligence at work, there's just us and a, a whole bunch of really smart machines inter- interacting with each other. I wonder if neural enhancement might not might not play a role there. Yeah, I think that that ties in really nicely with um, a meeting that we first had recently facilitated, and at that meeting we it was a private meeting and it was focused initially on AI timelines and then different policy recommendations for these different timelines. And the meeting was off the record, but I think if the report of that meeting is ready in time, then maybe uh, we can make a host of vision weekend session on this uh, and share some of the findings. But an interesting one was here that instead of focusing on really dialing down on a timeline for the arrival of AGI, we, on during the meeting, um, converged more on talking about different high-risk scenarios. And uh, one of them, of course, is artificial general intelligence, but ones before are definitely scenarios where AI is enhancing other technologies. Or, for example, one that we have really focused on at Foresight and really like rolled out our comparative advantage in is cybersecurity and what artificial intelligence might mean for cybersecurity. So these are all really interesting pre-AGI technologies that um, we should really consider too. Okay, so there you go. And I hope you all understood what she just said there. If you want to hear the real secret stuff, you've got to come to the weekend. Okay, She's, she can only talk about some things here on the show. The, the, the really good stuff is going to be at the weekend. Okay, so that, uh, that's, that's pretty exciting. So uh, another topic we talked about the other day that Christine said we wanted to be sure and get into on these shows was blockchain. So is, is blockchain going to be a topic and what's, what's going to be going on with that? So, sure. The way that we will approach the topic of blockchain at the Foresight Vision Weekend might be a little different to the kind of coverage that uh, people are used to in, in the Bay Area where um, many blockchain events really focus on, on, on the hype, right? So we are really trying to go um, beyond that and are really trying to filter out where these applications really make sense and where it's really mostly hot air. And we are also mostly, at least on the keynote panel, trying to go beyond cryptocurrency. For the people that are interested in crypto, there will be a crypto hedge fund um, present that will do a strategy session on investing. But on Saturday, we really want to focus on kind of more experimental further out applications of the blockchain um, that could really lay the base for decentralized architectures of society, economics, and civilization in the future. So one example here um, that relates to cybersecurity, currently companies don't really have a strong incentive to build out their security because when companies are small, they don't get attacked yet, and when they're big, they have enough money that they can usually stuff some security holes without really ever investing in a secure infrastructure. But this means that currently we have this trillion-dollar ecosystem that is being built on insecure foundations. And it's really hard to tear that down and build a new from scratch. And this is, I think, why the blockchain ecosystem is so interesting. Mark Miller, who we co-authored a paper with on cybersecurity, made that point really clearly. He said that 
both Bitcoin and Ethereum are currently evolving in an ecosystem that is already under very hostile attack pressures from the start. So in the words of Christopher Allen, who also works in blockchain, there is, as you might want to call it, a million-dollar bounty on vulnerabilities of crypto applications. So there's really a really big incentive for hackers to uh, exploit the vulnerabilities um, and collect these bounties, right? Because there's so much money currently invested in cryptocurrency. So that also means, well, and why you might say that's negative, on the upside it means that systems that are not bulletproof will be killed early and really visibly. Um, a good example that many of you remember might be the GAO, so the DAO. Um, that was not only a million dollars, uh, but much more. And here you really saw that um, there was this huge backlash. And on the long run, I think that the blockchain ecosystems really only remain populated by bulletproof systems over time. And this bulletproof security of the systems is kind of like um, really an essential part of their value proposition. And that is really different to the current ecosystem. So we might want to look at the ecosystem of blockchain as a whole here as a role model for how we can build better in society more generally. So it's really a broad, much broader focus than most of the blockchain events that people usually go to. And it's, it's very interesting to hear that blockchain-based security is evolving along with blockchain of necessity, obviously, because of the, because of the cryptocurrencies and the, and the risk of uh, theft, as you, as you mentioned. But it, you also then begin to get proof points for some of the use cases that, that are listed for, for blockchain. Now, PJ, I know you've got some strong feelings about blockchain. And, and uh, w one of my, uh, I guess, kind of hesitancies about doing a show on this up to this point is every time someone explains blockchain to me, I go, okay, so it's a ledger. No, but you're saying it's a really, really good ledger. Okay. And so it's <laughs> therefore the future of everything and everything's going to be great from now on. It's, it's hard, I think, for some people to make, make that kind of leap, PJ. But I think in, in your fictional world, you have kind of shown how that very basic technology can potentially drive us in directions that we weren't expecting and, and weren't thinking about at all. It, it, it all gets really complex really fast, doesn't it? Well, and I think with blockchain especially, just as a basis technology, because it's an underpinning technology, it's the thing that drives all the rest. And right. therefore, its vulnerabilities are so key, if there are any, we can't just say, oh, there's no, well, yeah, we could have a 51% attack, but nah, that'll never happen. It's that denial that there are holes or potential holes or future holes that the concept is so strong, but the execution might not be. And this is my gripe about all kinds of technologies. Uh, and I, I want nothing more than the blockchain to succeed. Look, you know, that from my particular standpoint, I want it nothing more than for it to succeed because it will change the world. But I don't want the hype and hope machines, and this is where I use hope in a negative context. Not, I think existential hope is fabulous. But people who just hope it works as opposed to people who go, okay, I want to think of every single way this could be damaged, uh, sabotaged, 
um, undermined, <laughs> and then I'll feel better about the, the concept of using this under everything. As a concept, it's, it's phenomenal. It, it literally is world-changing. But I, I firmly believe all technologies have a hole in them because we're not great at complex thought, our species yet, which is why I really think we need augmentation. Um, but that's, that's really my spiel on the blockchain. You show me that it is absolutely bulletproof, I'll feel better. So would you agree then, PJ, the emphasis that we're hearing about talking about the risks is, uh, or, or fighting the risks associated with it is probably a very good thing? It's a very good thing because the more, the more we can throw at the blockchain, the more ways we can prove, and ha hackers are always going to find a way. They always find a way. And you know what? That's fantastic because if we can fix those at each one of these attacks, then, we, then great. But if we can't, then we have to stop looking at the blockchain as something that's this impenetrable, perfect solution and perhaps look someplace else. Well, I mean, like, the opposite could also hold true, right? So, like, Ethereum's blockchain is, is really, like, provably safe. And the, I think a problem with, that could arise for, for this technology is not really that it itself is insecure, or at least, like, the blockchain itself. Like, applications, like the DAO, yeah, sure, they, they might have some, some holes. But I, I do think that there are proofs that, you know, that really show that these blockchains are immutable. And the problem here might be that uh, humans tend to forget how, how long-term reaching they are. So, you know, once they put private information on there, people often think, oh, well, you know, my information is, is totally private. No, it's not. It's, it's stored there, and, and it might be, it might be backtrackable. And I think these are more the problems, that it is really robust and that you might not be able to tinker with it. This, this could also be a problem. And if, if humans don't, are not aware of the risks that are associated with this and treat it too lightly and uh, put too much on it, uh, which is not what we've seen at all with the way that humans are treating social media, right? <laughs> and because social media is a much more mature technology, I, I would say that the blockchain is so much in its infancy, even still, even though it's been years in existence, that now that big players, nations, multinational banks and corporations are starting to look at what the blockchain is, and we're going to have many blockchains, and they're all going to have different rules. We're going to see the manipulation of those. You, you use the word immutable. I would never use the word immutable for any technology. And because every time we say that, every time we're proved wrong. So the key is to look not only at the underpinning, but as you said, the applications. And we're going it, to see such a flowering of applications. And I hope well, people don't think that each. Part, right? Oh, it is. It's phenomenal. And I hope they don't. That people don't think that they're all the same. If you know what I'm saying. You know, they've they've all been created in the same way. Right. Well, I've been hearing a lot about these kind of self-organizing businesses replacing the large enterprise of the past. This this whole kind of like social organizational structural model that can that can evolve because the blockchain 
will enable it. And that kind of stuff is just endlessly exciting to me. I think when, when you start talking about those kinds of, I read a really interesting thing by Ben Gertzel the other day about AI on the blockchain. It just kind of blew my mind. It was like, wow, yes. I, hadn't even, I hadn't even thought about that. So, so when you hear that first kind of ledger story, and it doesn't sound that exciting. And then especially because when, when I first heard about it, it was in the context of Bitcoin years ago. And everyone was saying, well, the great thing is it's 100% secure no matter what. And then right. years later, they just say, unless somebody breaks in and steals it, you know, which is, <laughs> which is different. You know, it's not, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't actually the, the blockchain that was doing that, but it's like you know, the, whole, the, whole infrastructure, uh, the whole infrastructure surrounding it. But here's, here's, the, here's the line I want to hear somebody draw. So since we're, since we're going in a very positive direction now with the, with the Vision Weekend, I think I was uh, telling Stephen about this a couple weeks ago. We were talking about we were talking about blockchain. Anymore, when I hear about blockchain, I either hear that it's going to be this transformational infrastructure technology, which I like to hear, and that's about 20% of what I hear. About 80% of what I hear is, Bitcoin, it's going through the roof. You've got to buy. Haven't you bought? Haven't you bought Bitcoin? You know, if you'd bought Bitcoin 10 years ago, if you'd put $500 into it, you'd have $60 million now, right? So there's <laughs> this, whole, this whole, like, Get rich quick hype about about the cryptocurrencies, which I think are almost kind of unfortunate, right? Because they almost take our eyes off the real promise of the technology. Do, what do you think about uh, what do you think about that, Christine or Allison? Either one is there is there too much hype about the cryptocurrencies, and is is that a problem? There's tremendous hype, immense, huge amount of hype about cryptocurrencies, and there's a lot of them out there now, and a lot of them are completely fake. Right. In fact, recently one of the, the real ones put out a report saying, wow, there was another ICO, initial coin offering, that, was where, that took pretty much all of our language from our, from our ICO and duplicated it for theirs. Uh, it, it looked almost identical. Um, yeah. So this, the second one was clearly just a complete fake and a ripoff. But it wow. looked very plausible because they stole language from a real project that actually uh, was serious and, and merited a great deal of investment. So I would say that, um, yeah, that there's a lot of, uh, there's, a, there's bad actors out there and they're making a lot of money off of naive in investors who uh, hear the term ICO and think, oh, I'll make a lot of money off this. Um, so the numbers are, are very large now. So uh, listeners, you know, you have to do a lot of research. If you want right. to participate, you need to uh, find good advisors or be able to do your own research, which is non-trivial, to figure out which of these offerings actually are real. Um, there, there is a community, um, as, as, as Allison was saying, she goes to a lot of these blockchain events, so if you do, if you have the ability to do that, you can find out who the real players are and who to listen to. But if you don't live in, in the Bay Area, for example, it's much harder to do this. You can't go in person to so many events. You know, there are, there are some blockchain events outside the Bay Area, I'm sure, and I'm sure those are increasing. But it, unless you can really get in with some kind of expert crowd who are honest people, it's very difficult for outsiders to figure out what the heck is going on. So just because someone's having an ICO doesn't mean it makes any sense at all. I, I heard of a dental ICO recently, and I couldn't <laughs> figure out wow. what is it, right? 
and and the the trick is, and I've been trying to, I'm sure you've all been working on this. How do you figure out whether a particular application of blockchain technology makes sense or not? And I think I'm getting I'm getting pretty close to figuring it out, which is these systems are particularly good at handling transactions where you need to identify particular individual parties and you need some kind of externally verifiable transaction. And then also where the existing real-world system that's handling the problem, whatever that may be, has inefficiencies or incompetence dishonesty, corruption, uh, some, there's some problem where funds are being siphoned off either, either due to just poor system design or due to actual dishonesty. So that last factor is where blockchain technology brings tremendous efficiency and sort of automatically enforced honesty to right. the system. So if you can identify a system that has these kinds of problems, you can, bring, you can save huge amounts of money and do something wonderful. For example, insurance, right? Insurance is all screwed up. So there's a tremendous opportunity to say, hey, let's try to do some kind of insurance system using blockchain technology and see if we can get rid of these inefficiencies and dishonesties in the system. Other ones are royalties to creators. For example, musicians. I, I've been told that, that money goes missing all the time in these systems. That's another opportunity because there's dishonesty and inefficiency in that system to implement on blockchain technology and do enforced honesty. So, so that's, that, th those are some thoughts on how people can begin to figure out whether blockchain technology makes sense for a given system and whether you need a dental blockchain technology, which is very unlikely, I, I, I suspect. So another um, educational point on blockchain, we're, I think we're beginning to move away from using the phrase the blockchain. And the reason is it's an educational effort because people new to the technology don't understand that there isn't one blockchain, right? Now, everybody mm. on this call understands that, and so we throw the term around and, and we all know what we're saying. We all understand each other. But there may be new folks out in the listenership who don't quite get it yet because it isn't, it is, you know, it's, it's not simple stuff. So, so I've kind of moved away from, from, from using that phrase and now go to, you know, a blockchain or blockchain technology, just as an educational effort for those in our, those of our listeners who may be completely new to this idea. Right. And I think it's that a good idea. Uh, yeah, that also really drives the point home that, to me at least, you know, coming from like an ethical standpoint, I think the types of the types of applications that I'd like to see are the ones that are not the blockchain, but that are blockchains, right? Like that are really a multiplicity of different decentralized um, applications that interact with each other on kind of like a free contract base, right? This is, to me, I think why I'm really excited about this because it gives individuals their sovereignty back. And what I'm not so excited about is um, if some governments um, or like some oppressive, oppressive regimes would use it and uh, I've recently kind of have been like at least on tangentially 
um, had witnessed this case happening where a government that is oppressive um, wanted to use that technology to store data, um, biometric data of, of travelers and of immigrants into a country and then store these on the blockchain and, you know, like keep records of them there. So I'm, I'm very, very excited when when blockchains are used in this kind of quest to give individuals their sovereignty back, <laughs> uh, well, back or just give them give them more sovereignty, and um, have a multiplicity of systems, uh, and less so when it tends to be used for uh, for centra for centralized um, applications. Also, because I think it just makes more sense to use it um, in a more decentralized fashion. That makes a lot of sense. Well, there's a lot more to be said about blockchain technology, and if you want. A good introduction to this, if you want to learn more about blockchains, if you want to learn more about life extension, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, here's what we're suggesting. Get yourself to San Francisco December 2nd and 3rd for the Foresight Vision Weekend. Now, we are airing this show a week after the early registration has expired, and we were talking before the show, and we're very pleased to offer a special discounted rate for attending the event for listeners of The World Transformed. If you register and you use the word transform, just all lowercase, transformed, what, what benefit will our listeners enjoy for that? Listeners will enjoy a 50%, that's 5-0 discount on the ticket. Um, this is the Vision Weekend ticket. Since this is a member-only event, this discount code does not apply to the membership itself. You can purchase both at the same time if you're not a member. If you're not sure whether you're a member or not, um, then you can contact us or we will tell you um, whether you'd have to renew your Foresight membership. 50% off the, the Vision Weekend. Stephen, have we ever had a better offer than that on this show? I'm trying to think of <laughs> I don't believe so, Phil. That's, uh, I think that is, that is super exciting. So you get 50% off the registration for the event. Once again, this is open to Foresight members. So if you're not a member, you're going to go through that process too when you, when you sign up. Get signed up, become a member. Highly recommend that as well. And get your discounted ticket and get to San Francisco the 2nd and 3rd of December and learn more about these topics and meet these wonderful people that we're talking with this evening. Well, you know, we ran out of time and we're not going to be able to do our geek out this week. So Stephen, we'll have to do an all geek show next week just to make up for it, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and PJ, you're welcome to come back for that one if you want to. I, you know me, I'm nothing, love, love more than being a geek. All right. Well, yep. what great fun it has been and the hour has gone by just much too quickly. Allison, it's nice meeting you and thank you so much for being with us this evening. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a blast. And Christine, uh, it's been great having you with us all week, and best of luck to both of you with the event. Okay, well, we look forward to meeting as many of your listeners as possible in San Francisco, December 2nd and 3rd. All right, follow the links that are right here in the show description, folks, and get, or if you're listening on uh, a downloaded podcast, just go to foresight.org and you can find the link to registration right there. Great having you all with us. We look forward to being with you all again next week. We will be back with three brand new shows. And until next time, live to see it.